It's 12.07, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, good to be back. A couple weeks off around the holidays, I've always figured if my employers are good enough to give me vacation, I should be good enough to accept it. Don't want to insult anybody, but it is always good to be back. So, Melissa, we have another convert. All right, my... You know, because I, I know you are a fan of my pillow, right? You, you know, oh you my like, gosh, I've oh. had my pillow for like ten years. Oh, okay, so I mean, and I of course talk about that. Mm-hmm. Well, for for Christmas, now this might not be the best Christmas gift that I've ever given, but for Christmas, my producer grew, mm-hmm. who listens to me read the live reads for for my pillow, you mm-hmm. know. Two or three times a day. Oh, no, I got him. I got and you I did. I, I, and, and these weren't freebies. I purchased them. I did the same thing that we encourage everybody else to did do. Did you use the I, Wagner I, promo of code? I used the Wagner <laughs> promo code. Of course, of course I did. But I I, I went on to mypillow.com and I I purchased. I got him two of the my pillows. I think the two for one deal. That's awesome. And so I, so I dropped them all. I came in, you know, when I was on vacation. Mm-hmm. I came in, left them on his desk. And so this morning, my question was, "Well, did you try them?" And he said, "Yes, he did." Oh, grew! I'm and, so excited and, for you. And he's, I said, "Did you like him?" He said he loved them. He's 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 a convert. Well, just wait; they'll get better as you kind of wear them in a little bit. You have to have a nice little spot okay. for your head. It's beautiful. Okay. I'm a huge fan. So I, that that it was it was a Christmas gift that ended up working. <laughs> so I just I thought I should. Bring Bring him into the my pillow awesome. fold, but yes, I know this. This wasn't call him up and ask for a freebie. This was no, no. I'm reaching into my own pocket. And I'm I'm purchasing that. He deserves Welcome it. Welcome to the family crew. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> right. it's the, it is the my pillow family. <laughs> yeah. It is extremely good to be back. Um, my wife, who is an Energizer bunny, has been keeping me busy. We have had. I was telling Steve and Melissa this off the air that um, for the last two and a half weeks, I, I think between events and we, we saw a Christmas Carol this year downtown put on by the rep and went to a couple Marquette games and family activities and just going out to dinner with friends and stuff. Last night was the first night in the last like two and a half weeks that we haven't had something on the agenda. I was getting tired. She was just, it was kind of like, I, I need to get back to work just to kind of get into a normal schedule. And it is very good to be back. All right. Has this happened to you? I love this story. Reveler found passed out in wrong Waukesha house. Uh, This woman says she gets up about 5 a.m. New Year's Day, finds a man sleeping on her dog's bed. She's got a 130-pound South African Mastiff. Apparently, um... She said at first she thought her son had come home unexpectedly from out of town, but when she saw it wasn't him, she woke her um, house guest and asked um, her if she knew the man. She said she did not. Both women grabbed a knife in the kitchen, called 911. Um, She says he was out. Even when I went to pull the dog off, the guy didn't move. So as it turns out, the Waukesha police show up and apparently it's a guy who lived like down the street or something like that, who was apparently overserved somewhere, went into the wrong house and crawled into the dog bed. Now, there's a couple observations here. Now, first of all, I, I don't have a 130 pound Mastiff. I have a five and a half pound Pomeranian. So you you wouldn't you wouldn't be you wouldn't really. That's not her dog bed. Sasha's dog bed is pretty small. Secondly. I don't understand because I, I guarantee you, you know, somebody comes in in the middle of the night. My dog is going to be barking. This particular dog, not. But the, the guy, I guess they figured, you know, no harm done. I will say this. And, and again, we're going to change the names to protect the innocent. I have never awakened in the wrong place. Or at least I have never awakened in a place that I didn't know where I was when I went to sleep. I have a friend 
and I, I just, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, we, we won't use names to protect the guilty because the statute of limitations expired. But a, a very close friend of mine, this is an honest, got true story. In college, freshman year in college, goes to this party. The way he tells the story is, he gets overserved at the party. He wakes up the next day. He's in his underwear on the floor of a dorm room. There's a guy sitting, you know, and these are like small college dorm rooms. There's a guy sitting typing, you know, at a desk, and there's another guy in bed. And and my buddy is sleeping on the floor of the dorm room. So he kind of wakes up, and there are these two, two guys that are there. And the guy at the desk says to his roommate, who's just woken up, who's your friend? To which the other guy says, I've never seen him before in my life. Nobody knows how my buddy got, including my buddy, nobody knows how he got to the floor uh, of this particular dorm room. So I guess the bottom line is this can, in fact, happen. Not something to be proud of, but it can, in fact, happen. Okay, let us take a very quick break. When we come back, all right, another year, but still some of the same old stories, a tragedy involving a police chase what should the cops have done differently? We'll discuss in just a minute. Stick around. It's good to be back. It's 1212. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 1214. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. The other night, we're, we're out to dinner with um, friends of mine, but I, who I've really gotten close to um, through my wife. It, it, so many people have so many interesting stories. I was talking to this guy, and he, he's somebody who's been a mover and shaker in Milwaukee, but kind of behind the scenes for years and years and years. And he starts telling me this story about how he knows Baskin and Robbins. You know, the the, the guys that found that they both passed away, but they founded 31 Flavors. I mean, he knows Baskin. And apparently what happened is this, it was a California like uh, two rival ice cream stands run by these brothers-in-law, brothers-in-law, and they merged, and it became like 31 flavors and stuff. And when they were looking to franchise outside of California, Wisconsin was one of the first places they decided to come. This would be like in the early 60s. Grew, do you know why they chose Wisconsin? All right. Well, that's easy. If you think about it, it's because they did these studies, and in Wisconsin, they found, like, the per capita ice cream consumption was, like, the highest in anywhere in the country. So it was this natural thing. But anyhow, the, this this friend of mine, he's telling me a story about how he was young and starting out in real estate. So he's uh, 23 years old, and he's driving around Wisconsin with Burt Baskin, you know, looking for locations for 31 flavors. I just – it – it's amazing that the stories that, that people have, I've kind of been accumulating with them, and I'll share them with you over time. All right, this is, unfortunately, a too familiar story. The, the, the general default mode in this area for bad guys has been when the police try to pull you over, you take off. And when you run... Sometimes you get away. Now, I think this is still the legacy of the failed policies of Tom Barrett and Ed Flynn for five or six years where the Milwaukee police just looked the other way and and essentially let people run, which encouraged people to do exactly that. And so that's one of the failed legacies. But that has now changed. We recognize that that did not work. And so now Milwaukee police, as do most suburban police departments, they, they, they don't just let you run away. Now, it's not the say that they when they chase you they they engage in reckless types of behavior but they're going to chase you and they're going to try to to catch you if at all possible so here is the story and, it, and it's a horrible story this would be monday night so uh we're talking new year's eve 
about 8.30 in the evening. Police see an SUV that is believed to be associated with several armed robberies um, on the on the near south side. So what happens is um, they decide that they're, they're going to chase. Officers try to stop the vehicle. The driver takes off. Again, this isn't just somebody that they're trying to pull over because they had a defective taillight or made an illegal right turn or something like that. This is a van that's been linked to various armed robberies. So they put on the bubble lights. They try to chase them. The suspect flees. And again, this is on the, the, the kind of the Bayview sort of area. The suspect vehicle flees for a short time and eventually begins to travel east on Greenfield from South First Street. And if you can kind of picture that area, again, there's sort of narrow streets and some of the streets end pretty quickly. Surveillance video shows the fleeing vehicle continued east on Greenfield at a high rate of speed. The suspect loses control of the car, and the car careens directly into the KK River. All right. At this point in time, at no substantial, at a substantial risk to their own lives, the police call out the dive team. And of course, this is now. Keep in mind, this is New Year's Eve. It's eight thirty at night when this whole thing happens. So now it's cold. You've got bad conditions. Remember New Year's Eve? You had kind of the snow and the ice and all that sort of stuff. Well, the dive team is out there. They are trying to see what ended up happening. They recover a woman's body from from the river. And they try to do life-saving measures that fail. So it's a 19-year-old woman. She has passed away. Because of the weather conditions, they can't continue their rescue operations. They've got to delay them till the next day. So um, they, they go back yesterday. They end up fishing the SUV out of the KK River. And they recover two more bodies. One is an adult male. And the other is a two-year-old child who apparently was the 19-year-old woman's child. So the 19-year-old woman has her two-year-old daughter in the car with her while this is going on. Now, today's TMJ4 goes out, and they do an interview with the sister of the woman who was killed in the chase with the Milwaukee police. And the, the sister is saying, I don't understand, I don't understand. She had a really good heart. She made a bad decision, but she was 19. Then she goes on to say that she doesn't understand how her sister could have had her daughter, you know, with her in this particular situation. So here you have this horrible situation where you have three people, including a two-year-old, who are dead because of the results of this police chase. And there's a number of people that are now, again, throwing up their hands and saying, well, maybe is this an indication that Ed Flynn, the former police chief, was right? Is this an indication of maybe the fact that we shouldn't be chasing because, uh, again, if you had simply let these people drive off, all right, they would still be alive, the two-year-old would be alive, and maybe you catch them some other time. For the police's part, of course, they they didn't know that there was a two-year-old in the car. All they know is there's this vehicle that is associated with multiple armed robberies. We've tried to pull it over, and it flees. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. 
is a tragedy like this evidence that that maybe we should collectively rethink the chase policies should the cops have been chasing on new year's eve the weather was bad we all know that should they be rethinking that policy because if they had left them let them drive off well they they would have gotten away maybe you would have caught them later on maybe not but people would be alive 414-799-1620 that's the accurate mortgage talk and text line i have a very strong opinion on this we will discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1222. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 1224. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Very good to be back. Horrible story. New Year's Eve. Police, kind of in the Bayview area, they see a vehicle that's been associated with two armed robberies. They try to pull the vehicle over. The driver takes off. There is a brief chase. The driver loses control, drives into the Kinnikinnick River. Long story short, at substantial risk to their own lives, the dive team comes out. They try to rescue people that are in the vehicle. They ultimately fail Two passengers, two adult passengers, a guy and a 19-year-old woman, they are dead, along with the woman's two-year-old niece. It is a horrible story. Is it a justification for not chasing? The argument would be, well, all right, if you had just let them drive off, they wouldn't be dead today. Let's start with Jennifer in West Bend. Jennifer, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi. Thank you for taking my call. Yes, ma'am. As I was listening, I was just so frustrated that this is even being discussed because the the individuals in that car they are the ones who chose to make it to turn it into a pursuit it is not the police officers fault in any way these are individuals who are breaking the law at multiple different levels they are the ones who are running the red lights downtown in milwaukee putting people in danger in other ways it is their choice they need to be the ones that accept the accountability for this. And the police officers are doing nothing more than what they are supposed to be doing. Okay, the argument so, might be, let me play devil's advocate with you for okay. a second, because the argument might be, okay, that's fine for the two adults, but there was a two-year-old yeah. child in that car as well. That child didn't make the decision to run away. Now, admittedly, the police didn't know there was a kid in the car, and I don't right. know if that would have changed one way or the other, but... The, the two-year-old didn't make the decision by by chasing this, uh, by chasing, you started the whole stream of consciousness, of, of events going that, that led to the death of, in this case, the child. I guess the argument I would make is, number one, I would take it one step back and say they did not start it with the chase. It was started when the other individuals ran. Right, took off, it yeah. It is unfortunate, it is unfortunate totally unfortunate that that little child died but again to me that doesn't discount the responsibility of the individuals those adults in that car that that mother should not have been there with that child i just Right. I, I, no, I, yeah, I, no, take accountability for their own actions. You know, thanks for call. I mean, I, I agree with you that this is a, it is a tragic outcome. There's no question about it, but I, I'm with you. What, what, 
what was the catalyst for this? The catalyst was the people in the car, the adults, making the decision that they are going to flee from the police in the first place. If you just stop, if you don't run, none of this ends up happening. And, and maybe the lesson to be taken from this is don't run from the cops. Zach in Wauwatosa. Zach, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, good. how are you doing? Hi, Zach. I'm well, thank you. Good. I think it's completely necessary for the cops to continue a pursuit because um, you kind of have to look at it from a futuristic standpoint. Um, say they do let this car go that has been wanted for armed robberies or is suspected of armed robberies. Right. Um, you got to look it down the road. I know it's very unfortunate that a two-year-old was killed, but think about it later on the road. If they do get another armed robbery case where an innocent bystander is killed from that armed robbery, um, you have to feel a little guilty just because you let that car go. Yeah, no, I mean, thanks for calling. I, see, I, I'm with you. That That's it. You know, you can always play the, the what-if games, but th- this is the point that I've been trying to make for years about this. You, you can't just let criminals or suspects drive off. You, you can't do that. Now, I, again, I understand that you always have to kind of balance the chase. You don't want cops getting hurt. You don't want innocent civilians getting hurt. So you, you have to be smart about doing that. But I'm with you. So so what happens? Let's say these people, and I don't know, I don't know why they ran. All right. I, I, I don't know if the woman and the boyfriend, whoever she was in the car with, I don't know if they were the armed robbers or whether they were just driving the van. I don't know why, but we just know that they did, in fact, run. If you've got a car, that's involved in an armed robbery, you're exactly right, Zach. How do you justify it if you've let these people get away and two days later they walk into a a 7-Eleven or something else with a gun and in that case something goes bad as part of the robbery and somebody gets ends up getting shot and killed and it turns out that, oh, we might have had a chance to pull them over two nights ago, but we let them go. I mean, I just think that that's the balancing that goes on. Let's talk to Todd in Greenfield. Todd, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. I'm on board with the rest of the people that are talking about this because rules are rules. When they're broken, there's consequences. And if we let them go, there's going to be more people thinking that they can run and not get caught. Which is precisely what happened in Milwaukee. Over that five-year period where we we essentially had the no-chase policy, the word got out that Milwaukee police would not chase you, and so what happened? The bad guys just ran regularly. Now, with this situation, it could have changed. I think the officers might have second-guessed chasing if they would have seen the child in the car. Right. I think then they probably would have opted for license plate and to track them down later because they would see that there's an innocent person Definitely involved in the situation. Should we back off? Right. No, but, I think, yeah, but they yeah, didn't know they that. Did. Right. Right. So they did not. Right. And thanks for calling. And that's what, that's what happens most of the times, that police officers don't know why a car has, has run. I mean, they, 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 don't, they don't have that process. All they know is, hey, this is a vehicle that's been identified as being involved, in this case, in, in suspected armed robberies. Boom, let's put on the bubble lights, let's pull them over, then the car takes off. That, that's what happens on almost every traffic stop. You pull a car over for speeding, the car takes off. You don't know why it's running. You don't know if the person's drunk. You don't know if there's bodies in the trunk. You don't know what exactly is going on, and that's why I think officers have the chase. This is a horrible story. It's an awful way to start out 2019 in Milwaukee. But the bottom line is, if you're looking to find blame, you don't place the blame here on the police officers. You place the blame on the people that made the incredibly bad, unfortunate, tragic decision to run from the cops in the first place. Mama, yeah.
1235. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So Groove is producing the show today and always. Did you have a uh, Did you have a New Year's Eve party? Did you go out and you went to one? Did you, did you make it to midnight? Round twelve. Oh well, I, here here is the deal. Like I say, my my wife has. I have been overscheduled the last couple of weeks, but we had a couple friends over for New Year's Eve, and and actually, e- even given how crummy the conditions were, pe- people came, and I, I the deal was, I said, okay, well, we're going to have to agree to celebrate like New Year's at ten o'clock for like us old people and stuff. But I tell you, we all had such fun. We were actually playing games that we, we were playing like Royal Rummy and stuff, and I I had to say, hey, it's five to twelve. You know, we have to pay attention because so we we made it. You know, and we. We actually we, we made it and had a very, very good time. So I did not see this, but as I said in the lead in here, apparently not every train wreck happens on the, the railroad tracks because NBC's New Year's Eve show apparently was a, a train wreck of legendary proportion. The, the word that's being described is complete disaster and, again, train wreck. Here's the way that Fox reports it. Um uh, during and after the broadcast, well, apparently w- what happened is, now that they do it from Times Square. Now, what is the big thing that goes on in Times Square? The ball drops, all right? Apparently, they didn't show the ball dropping. That, that's, that's number one. Number two, um, one of the hosts, uh, apparently, shortly before midnight, when you have all these people that are watching, decides to go on and get into a conversation about vaginal steaming, <laughs> which is which is apparently, I, I, I have never heard of that. So, I mean, I, I, I learned something new, I guess, when I was following this, but apparently it's, it, it's something that, that women can do where they, like, squat over, like, uh, steam or something. Why you would do this, I do not necessarily know. But apparently, there was a conversation like ten minutes before twelve uh, about about this. Now, why you would decide that this is the time that you were go- why we would have this conversation on national TV? Period is kind of beyond me. But you're not doing it on you know like some some show that's on at like eleven o'clock in the morning. You're doing it right before New Year's, and that did not go over very well. A lot of people are saying, "Hey, we're we're up with." our family we're watching the show why are you having this conversation then and nobody had a good answer for that so it's uh you got to figure out apparently it was so bad that the only good thing you can say about it is that nbc has nowhere to go but up from that moment and given some of the things that went on at the major news networks it is perhaps not surprising that this is kind of the way they, they ended up finishing the year all right This is a conversation that we are going to have on multiple occasions moving forward. And let me let me give you a little bit of background. One of the things about being off for a week or two is it gives it gave me an opportunity to kind of get away from the the day to day looking at a a particular story and and maybe take an ability to take a step back and and look at the, the forest instead of of just the, the trees instead of getting obsessed with you know the okay this is what president trump did today this is what the criticism he's getting from the democrats or the media or whatever i i, I was trying to take a, a larger picture this is also the the unofficial start 
to the 2020 political campaign. You already have one candidate, Elizabeth Warren, who's formed her exploratory committee. She's all in. My guess is over the course of the next month or so, you're going to have lots of people that decide that they want to run for president as well, which brings us to the point of this discussion. Now, back in 2016, after the parties had chosen their candidates, and and look, it was the, the fix was in for Hillary Clinton. So it was always going to be Hillary Clinton. And the, the truth is, after the first couple primaries, you know, Donald Trump w- was going to roll. So I, I heard this from from many of you. Well, it's a binary choice. That that was the, the catchphrase. The choice is Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump. You don't have any reasonable alternatives. You could vote for a third-party candidate, but they're not going to win. So it, it's a binary choice. Do you choose Hillary Clinton? Do you choose Donald Trump? And I firmly believe that the Donald Trump won election in 2016 because he was the anti-Hillary Clinton. People just didn't like Hillary Clinton. And don't send me emails about, well, she won the popular vote. That's not how we choose the presidents. She, he, he won because he was anybody other than Hillary Clinton. And I, I believe that to be true. You had the binary choice. All right, now it is 2019, and in 2020, voters will be going to the polls and making these decisions. It is no longer a binary choice. Now it is Donald Trump, if he chooses to run for re-election, and all indications are that he is, and it's everybody else. It's all the potential Republican candidates. And then, of course, it's the whole universe of Democratic candidates ranging from people on the far left like Elizabeth Warren to perhaps closer to the center like Joe Biden, if Joe Biden gets into the race. But for the purposes of today's discussion, I want to focus on the Republicans. All right. It's not a binary choice. You now don't have to choose. Am I going to vote for Donald Trump or am I going to vote for Hillary Clinton? You get to say, hey, I want somebody else other than Donald Trump to represent the Republicans in 2020. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Let's tee this up. Do you want someone else? It's not a binary choice anymore. And again, I can understand. I understand President Trump has been controversial. He's done various things. Some of the stuff people like, some of the stuff people don't like. He's picked the fight with the media. Some people like that. Some people don't. But it's not a binary choice. Do you want to see and would you support somebody else running against Donald Trump? Would you like to see somebody else be the Republican nominee in 2020? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1242. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. We want something else! We want something else! We want something else! We want something else! Bad things in the world are eyes! You have nothing to lose but your cookies! We want something else! It's 1245. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right. Do you want something else? This is the unofficial start of the 2020 presidential campaign. I understand, but but here's the choice. It's not a binary choice anymore. Um, for everybody that supported President Trump, and he won in 2016, the question becomes, is it time to stay on the Trump train? Or do you maybe say, you know what, we've seen what we've gotten, and we want something 
else? 414-799-1620. Let's start with Wayne in Milwaukee. Wayne, you're first. Good afternoon. Yes, good afternoon, Jeff. Uh, yeah, I think it's time for somebody else, and I think Paul Ryan should grab grab the lead. I think he would be a fantastic president, and I think that's why he left. I think he's going to run against him and beat him. Uh, I don't think, you know, I mean, I think Paul Ryan is probably, my guess is Paul Ryan's going to probably go to some think tank and, and some chairman, some boards and things like that and make some money for a little while. But you'd like to see, you'd like to see somebody else get involved in the race. Yes, definitely, because this guy is just, you know, let's face it, Jeff, I mean, it's kind of a joke and we need to get back to politics. Um, well, thank, thanks for the call. Well, there's, there's, there's no question. And again, I see this isn't a matter of, of criticizing President Trump or, or hating President Trump. This is just after two years of unceasing drama. Do people want other choices? Do people want someone else? Now, I know there's a lot of people out there that don't believe polls. I am skeptical of polls as well. But the truth is, there's these polls out there that say that only about 35% of people say that they're going to vote for President Trump again. Now, you, you got to take that with a grain of salt. But at the same time, I have very, very real questions about whether he has any chance of, of winning. I understand people didn't see what happened in 2016 necessarily happening, but I mean, you, you look at the indication. Scott Walker is not the governor, at least in my opinion, in large part because of Donald Trump. He fired up the Democrat base and he turned off a bunch of Republicans. How do you turn that around in the next two years? Do you want someone else? Jim and Franklin. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Jim. Um, we would definitely vote for somebody else uh, on the Republican side. Um you know, I like what he's done a lot with regard to China and uh, a mm-hmm. few other items. Uh, so he's done some good work, but he is so off base when it comes to all the comments and tweets. And he, he just pulls stuff out of his but you know, <laughs> yeah, right, right. And it's it's like laughable. And my wife keeps saying, "We're not going to have to vote for this guy again, are we?" Well, see, and that and that's why I phrase this question this way. It, it's not. To me now, especially if you're looking at choices, we're not talking about, okay, do you support Trump over the opposition or whatever? We're saying moving forward, what would you like to see happen? And I think that there's a lot of conservatives that are out there who are saying, you know what, we're tired of the drama. And we're concerned that 2020 is going to be an electoral debacle. And, yes, we want we want someone else. And you can say that without – necessarily breaking incredibly bad on president trump you could just say hey we're just tired of all this drama because i don't know about you jim i'm tired of the drama yeah absolutely um no thanks for the call i mean i guess that that that's kind of it it's the look i i understand there's a lot of people who are very critical of president obama i get all that but you know one of the the hallmarks of his eight years where he said i I don't want drama i i don't want this controversy and by and large they were able to uh, accomplish that i again i took this picture over the last couple weeks i'm sitting back and i'm just looking at these things you know okay you've got the trade wars you've got the stock market which is it seems like it's stabilized a little bit but these swings where it's up a thousand points and then three days in a row it's down six or seven hundred points and it, it's this is a reaction to you know what's the latest battle that's going on not just with congress but what's the battle that's going on with china and trade wars and this and that and the other thing and you realize that this is going to continue for the next couple of years i will also say again i didn't see the 
I didn't see President Trump winning the election. I concede that, but I think 2020 is going to be different than 2016, and I am concerned that Republicans are heading for an electoral debacle. 414-799-1620. Charles in Manitowoc. Charles, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yes, good afternoon. What do you think? Uh, I'm just calling to say that I'm an independent, and I would like many choices on either side, on both sides. Mm Mm-hmm. And that way I will have uh, somebody to select from as opposed to the previous election where I did not choose either of the two candidates. Right. Well, you know, and, and I mean, look, I don't know what the Democrats are going to do. I, I have no idea if if President Trump were to run again, which I assume he's going to, and he ends up being pitted against somebody like an Elizabeth Warren, somebody to the far left, well, then again, you're going to have this kind of binary choice. If Democrats pick somebody who is more mainstream, a sort of center-right Democrat in the mold of like a Bill Clinton or something, then it ends up being a completely different dynamic. But I'm kind of with you. I'd like to see some people – I would like to see people from – the far left and center left and center right and far. I, I'd like to see a choice of candidates, and I hope there's some Republicans out there that decide they want to run. So, well, we can only hope. Right, th- thanks for the call. Now, I, I mean, I, I, I understand, uh, again, that it, it's tough to run for president, and I understand that it's also tough to not support an incumbent president if you are a conservative. At the same time, you, you look at what happened in the 2016 elections, and that certainly is an indicator of where we're, we're going right now unless there are some dramatic changes. Now, look, I'm a student of history, so I get it. I understand that, for example, in the cases of Richard Nixon and Ronald Reagan, they, they won close elections when they were first election elected, and then they went on to huge you know, electoral landslides when they ran for re-election. But what Nixon did, people forget because of Watergate and stuff like that, and what Reagan did is they expanded their base dramatically during their first term. I, I don't know. That doesn't appear to be President Trump's electoral strategy. It appears to be kind of, you know, all right, we're, we're going to be sort of a Johnny One note on a couple issues, and we're going to have very popular rallies in airplane hangars and things like that, and we're going to appeal to the base, but, but that's not going to win you the overall election. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Brad on the south side. Brad, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Uh, good afternoon. Thanks for taking my sure, call. Sure, thanks for calling. Hey, yeah, listen, the, uh, the Republican Party is caught between a rock and a hard place here. I will tell you, if, you know, there's a base. I have. I know many people, believe it or not, that are avid supporters of him because they don't want the status quo. They don't mm-hmm. want what's been going on in Washington over the last number of Right, and they like the chaos. I know a lot of people like, like that, too. <laughs> and, and if they, so you lose that base, you tick them off, that base, uh, they, they literally will be defeated before they start. So okay, it, well, what if the problem, problem though, is that that base isn't large enough that you, that base isn't large enough to win without, I don't know, being able to bring in a lot more people? I mean, what if that, what if that's the case? Well, if you have another Hillary type candidate, that may be their only hope. Right, right, but, uh, right, no, thanks, Scott, no, I, I, I mean, I, I agree, look, I'm not saying, 
that if Donald Trump is the Republican nominee, that I automatically think he's going to lose. I think a lot depends on on what happens on the other side. But but it's a different dynamic than than 2016. And I, I do think that there's a lot of people out there who are tired of of the drama and are tired of. All right, this sort of erratic stuff that's going on. Well, all right, we're we're going to pull out of Syria, something that you know most Republicans and most conservatives don't think is a good idea. We're going to pull out of Afghanistan, something that I think most people don't think is a good idea. We're going to you know pick trade wars here. Well, something that a lot of people don't think is a good idea. That's that's the issue that's out there, and it's an issue that people are going to have to confront over the course of the next couple of years. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk to. Uh, let's see. We'll go to Dan in West Bend. Dan, good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Dan. Um, yeah, uh, right now I would uh, vote for him again, just from the standpoint of, of that he is the anti-swamp, and I feel that if we would have got a a Ted Cruz or uh, a couple of the other uh, Republicans that were running, um, that other senator from Florida, Rubio, right. I, is, is that they're paper tigers, and we would not have got, let's say, the judge. We wouldn't have got the deregulation. We wouldn't have got the spur in the economy, the uh, a, a lot of the, the dereg and uh, and the the basically whittling down the bureaucracy okay well let me ask you this though all right you're we're, we're, again we're, we're talking about 2016 you know now let, let's talk about it moving forward do you think donald trump would be the best republican candidate moving forward um i i don't necessarily think he would be the best but right now i wouldn't want somebody from you know from the bureaucracy i would okay. want somebody from the outside Okay. All right. Thanks. I mean, because I, see, that's I don't in, moving forward. I don't want to. And when we frame this discussion and we're going to have this discussion, trust me, on multiple occasions uh, moving forward, I don't want to phrase the discussion about looking backward. All right. Because that's that's in the rearview mirror. You've got to be forward looking here. And the question becomes moving forward. If if you are a conservative, for example, and you're concerned about retaining the White House, is the best chance of doing that Donald Trump, or is it somebody else? And does it matter, you know, who the Democrats put up? And the answer is is yes. If the Democrats, you know, nominate somebody who's a half step away from being a socialist, well, well, maybe you can get that dynamic. But 2016 is a different year than 2018. Period. And I think people need to realize this. We will continue to have this conversation over time. I agree with it. When we come back in just a couple minutes. Should we blame Canada? Canada has been looking down its nose on us, on on America, on a particular issue. Now they're starting to say, well, maybe this isn't such a good idea. Stick around. It's 1256. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 109, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So Eric Bilstead, this did not take long. First show, first hour, 2019. I was talking about, you know, it's not a binary choice anymore and people have to decide, you know, do, do you want President Trump? Do you want somebody else? All right. I've been called an idiot for the first time no, already. It, it, it took less than an hour. You blind? You sound like a fool. You're a rhino. President Trump drama? What are you talking about? Now, let us be fair here. I don't care whether you love President Trump or you don't lo- like President Trump. I do think it is fair to say that there's been a lot of drama associated with this presidency. Would sure, you agree with me sure, on that? No, right. I think you're right. Now, I see some, now some people like the chaos, and mm-hmm. some people like the drama. 
But it, it's kind of tough to deny that there's been a lot of drama. And my guess is that drama will continue. But we, we made it. We didn't even make it an hour. I'm getting texts calling yeah, me an go. idiot or a fool or whatever. That's okay. Bring it on. All right. Blame it on Canada. Uh, we, we've talked about this from a different perspective. Um, it, it's the whole concept of what's known as birthright citizenship. Under the 14th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, what happened, and this was an amendment that was designed to make it clear. It goes back to the time of the, the Civil War, post-Civil War, and it's an amendment which made it clear, was intended to make clear that that slaves and children of slaves who were born in this country were citizens, all right? But the 14th Amendment essentially says that if you are born in this country, you are a citizen. It makes no distinction as to where you know mom and dad came from. So what's happened is you have a, a number of people who come into this country. Maybe they can be in the country legally or maybe they can be in the country illegally. Doesn't matter. If they are in the country and they give birth to the child, the child is a citizen, in this case of the United States, regardless of the, the citizenship of mom or dad. It, it's then you know, led to the, this whole argument, the phrase that some people find to be offensive is, is anchor babies. The argument being that, all right, if mom and dad are in this country illegally, what happens is they have the child, the child is a citizen, that child becomes the anchor to which mom and dad can try to attach to stay into this country. Um, sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. But that's the whole concept of birthright citizenship. It's tough to get a handle on how many children are born in this country to parents who are not legal citizens. Uh, the, the estimates are probably, well, I'm looking at one study that says that estimates that there's about 36,000 babies born in the U.S. to foreign nationals, right? Um, that is not all people who are in this country illegally. Canada has the same rule, um, the same law. If you are born in Canada, you are a Canadian citizen, regardless of whether mom and dad are in the country illegally or, or not. If you're born in the country, you're fine. This has led to an explosion of something that goes on in Canada and it goes on in certain parts of the United States as well. It's called birth tourism. Birth tourism. And what this is, is it is typically wealthy, well-heeled people from other countries, largely either China or Russia, who come into either the U.S. or Canada, I'm going to talk about Canada for just a minute, who come in for the express purpose of having a baby so that the baby is going to have dual citizenship, so that the baby will be not just Chinese, but the baby will be Canadian, or not just Russian, but the baby will also be Canadian. Here's a story that appeared in the New York Times just the other day. Melody Bai arrived in Vancouver from China in the late stages of pregnancy with one goal, to give birth to a Canadian baby. 
Awaiting her was an elaborate ecosystem catering to pregnant women from China, including a spacious baby house where she spent four months attended to by a Mandarin-speaking housekeeper. Caregivers offered free breast massages to promote lactation, outings to the mall, lectures on childbirth with other Chinese mothers-to-be, and excursions to high tea. The lady says... It's a part, I think it's an investment in my child's education. You know, we chose Canada because of its social environment. And, and yes, I, I want my child to be a Canadian citizen. And apparently, again, the story in the New York Times talks about how she's part of a growing phenomena in Canada known as birth tourism, which is perfectly legal. Because, again, this is a way you can come and you can get to be a citizen. And there's this whole cottage industry that has developed where you have these, these different hospitals and hotels and caregivers who are catering to this. And they're saying, okay, here, here is the deal. Yes, it's going to cost you thousands and thousands of dollars, but you can come into the country, you can have your baby here, and your baby will then be a citizen. This also is going on in the United States. And the, two of the principal areas where it happens is in, Cal, uh, is in California, Southern California in particular, and in South Florida where, again, there's this cottage industry that markets itself, come into this country, it's going to cost you a lot of money, but if you have your baby here, your child will go away, and your child will be, uh, again, a U.S. citizen moving forward. Now, what's interesting is liberal Canada, you've got a number of politicians on both sides of the aisle, conservatives and liberals, who are getting who are outraged about this because they feel that this is a manipulation of of the system. And they're describing it as well, okay, it might be legal, but it's unethical, it's unscrupulous, and this is not what these laws are intended to do. Now it's not in the Canadian Constitution, but in Canada they're they're looking at maybe making changes to the law which does not allow something like this to happen. It's more difficult to change this in the U.S., but given the fact that you've got, again, this cottage industry that is developing, to me it raises, again, the fundamental question of just because you are born in this country or in Canada, should that make you a citizen of that country? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And what I find to be interesting about this story, this whole birth tourism thing, is we're not dealing with, all right, people who enter the country necessarily illegally with the idea that they're going to try to, you know, use the fact that the baby's been born as the as a way to stay here. We're now looking at people this is the flip side of it. Wealthy people who are arguably gaming the system by coming here solely for the purpose of getting their kids to be American citizens or Canadian citizens. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should we stop this practice? Should there be more required than simply being born in the United States to make you a citizen. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And my answer is yes. I, I think there should be more to this. 414-799-1620. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 117. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 
It's 120, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I generally do not make New Year's resolutions, but one that I have made and I promise I will follow is uh, more Twitter postings this year, including highlights of what are we anticipate talking about on the program. So you can follow me. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. Posted a number of things today, and I will continue to do that. That is a resolution I'm going to keep. One of my other, it's not, it wasn't my resolutions with my wife. We're, we're back to the gym. And so um, she has been, she has been shaming my chunky butt into going to the gym. So I'm, I'm sore. I've been on treadmills and things like that. And I've been, I've been told that this is going to be a three, four, five time a week enterprise. And so again, that's, that's my resolution. So follow me on Twitter. There will be more postings. I guarantee it. All right. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I love this story because the whole idea of birthright citizenship, this notion that you get to be a citizen of a country simply because you have the fortune to be born in that country has never made any sense to me. It's just it's never made any sense to me. And if you go back and if you look at the 14th Amendment to the Constitution, it was done because of slavery. It wasn't done because, you know, we've decided to open up the the borders and make citizens out of people who come into this country either legally or illegally. Now, a lot of the conversation has been about people who come into this country illegally, they have their babies, and then how do you deport mom and dad when they've got an infant child who is a U.S. citizen? But the flip side is the high-end stuff. These people who, who come in whether it's to Canada or the United States, with the express purpose of, hey, we're going to stay in these luxury hotels. We're going to stay in these sort of, um, you know, tourism. They call it birth tourism. And we're going to stay for a couple months because we want our child to be a U.S. citizen or we want our child to be a Canadian citizen. And interestingly enough, in liberal Canada, they're starting to get wise to this. And there's a number of politicians on both the left and right who are saying, wait, th- this this is not what citizenship should be all about. Citizenship should be more than simply, hey, in this case, you're wealthy. You decide that you think maybe somewhere down the line, you th- it would be good for your child Maybe you're Russian nationals. It would be good for your child to have dual citizenship. So here, we have the baby in Canada, or we have the baby in Miami Beach. All right, that's, to me, not what citizenship is all about. Maybe the simple fact that you know being a citizen means maybe more to me than it might mean to some people, this idea that we allow people to, I think, circumvent the intent of the law is just fundamentally wrong. In Canada, you can change this through a legislative effort. In the U.S., I disagree with the president. I think you need to have a constitutional amendment to change it. But it's something I think a lot of people could get behind. And for people like me who oppose this whole notion of birthright citizenship, maybe the thing to talk about is not just focus on the people who come in illegally, but focus on these businesses which decide to promote the birthright tourism. Because at best, isn't it unseemly that somebody can pay a bunch of money, come hang out at some luxury resort in Miami Beach or in Southern California, waiting to give birth to their child, give birth to the child, the child then automatically is a U.S. citizen entitled to all the different rights and privileges, and and then head back to China. Doesn't that strike people as being wrong? Certainly bothers me. 124, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 
126. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Here's a text. I spent 10 years living in Saudi Arabia. We used to call the Jeddah. That's a that's a city in the the western part of. I think it's on the Red Sea. Um, we used to call the Jeddah to New York flight the maternity flight because at any given time. Um, if I was in a premium class on the flight, there would be at least 30% of the women on board who were pregnant and planned to give birth in the United States. Um, I've witnessed what you're talking about firsthand. It's absolutely something that needs to be addressed. Uh, I didn't know anybody who was wealthy who didn't purposely go to the United States or Canada if they had the means to do so just to have their babies. It's just what they end up doing. Um, well, yeah, and I guess that's the question it becomes, you know, what is that what citizenship should really be all about? All right, let me lead into this topic and we'll take phone calls on it after after we break for the news. I am I like amusement parks, but as I've said before, I didn't get the roller coaster gene in my family. My brother got that. But I, I've been to Disney World, like Disney World. I, I like Universal Studios in Orlando. I don't go on the crazy rides like the Incredible Hulk ride where you're upside down after four or five seconds. I That, that to me, no fun. But I'll go on like the motion capture rides, you know, where you sit there and you kind of like rock back and forth. At Universal Studios in Florida, there is... I, I think this is still open. There's a ride called Skull Island, Reign of Kong. All right? So that, that's, that's it. Skull Island, Reign of Kong. A sign at the entrance to the ride says, Warning, this ride is an expedition through the rough terrain of King Kong's natural habitat. The movement of the truck is dynamic with sudden accelerations, dramatic tilting, and jarring actions. The sign goes on to warn people with heart conditions or abnormal blood pressure, back or neck conditions, and expectant mothers shouldn't go on the ride. All right? Um, then they have an accompanying drawing of, of each of these different conditions. So they've got this big warning sign that's up there saying, if you go on a ride called Skull Island, Reign of Kong, beware. All right? Grew, would you go on that ride? Is that something that you'd go on the ride? That would have an appeal to you. Okay, all right, that that's great. I I understand, and this might be something I would do as well because it's not that roller coaster where you're upside down. It's one of those motion capture things where you're running back and forth. Anyhow, this is the ride. The warnings are in English. Here is the story: thirty-eight year old guy who is from Central America goes on this ride. He had prior heart problems, suffers a fatal heart attack shortly after going on the ride. He has now sued Universal, Universal Studios. Why is he suing them? Well, he says, look, he had prior heart problems. He didn't speak English, and he could not read the warning signs that were up there. So here you have this guy who, again, is from Central uh, is from Central America. He shows up, Guatemala, goes on the ride, ends up having a heart attack after the ride because he didn't perceive that this was dangerous. Takes a break on the bench after the ride. He collapses. They take him to the hospital. And the argument is, hey, by not having these warning signs in English, you essentially killed this man. 
And now there's a lawsuit. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is Universal Studios negligent for failure to have the warning signs for these various rides in multiple languages? What do you think? 414-799-1620. We will discuss in just a moment. Of course, I'll tell you where I come down on this as well. It's 135, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right. Now, now, and my guess is you, you have been to an amusement park. Maybe you've been to Disney World, Disneyland, Universal Studios, et cetera, et cetera. You know that they have all sorts of different types of rides. I don't, I don't have to read warning signs on, for example, the Incredible Hulk roller coaster ride at Universal Studios to know that it's, it's not for me. All right, but they do have these warning signs up there, and generally speaking, the warning signs say, "Okay, this is a little bit about what the ride is about, and if you've got back problems or you're below a certain age or whatever, if you're pregnant, you should not go on them." So what happens is, 38-year-old guy from Guatemala who does not speak English goes to Universal Studios. He and his family go on a ride called Skull Island: The Reign of Kong ride, which is one of these rides where apparently you're you're in a truck and you're going through King Kong's Island and the truck is, again, it's not a roller coaster, but it's one of these, I think, like motion capture things where sudden accelerations, tilting, jarring actions. It's kind of, if you've been on the Harry Potter ride, it sounds like similar to that at at Universal. And it says that people with heart conditions or abnormal blood pressure, back or neck conditions, and expectant mothers should not go on the ride. Guy goes to Universal Studios. He goes on the ride. He has a heart attack afterwards. They've now filed a lawsuit against Universal Studios saying, hey, you you didn't have these warning signs in English. And Universal Studios, you should know And you do know that a substantial portion of the people that come to Universal Studios or Disney World or whatever are people who come from outside the country and who are likely not to speak English. 414-799-1620. All right. Is this a legitimate lawsuit? Let's start with Danny in West Dallas. Danny, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. How are you doing? Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you as well, sir. I am so sick and tired of hearing about things like this. Um. There's a certain amount of, there's a certain amount of self-realization and that every human being should have, but apparently some people are born without this gene, where you have to realize the world around you is trying to kill you. And there are rides like that that you just look and see the ride, that it's got loops and it goes upside down and so on. You have to have a certain amount of self-awareness to realize that, okay, my heart's not so good. Right. Probably I shouldn't go on that. Right. Well, I mean, right. The, the, whole, the basic notion that if you've got heart problems, that, you know, going to a theme park and getting on any of these these rides probably isn't a good thing for you, including maybe even some of the kiddie roller coaster rides. Exactly. Now, see, I've been scared to death of those things forever. The only reason I ever went on one of the big rides was to impress a girlfriend. <laughs> and I didn't want to look like a girly boy. So I went on Batman the Ride. And I screamed like a girl the <laughs> well, whole time. I mean, it was useless. There's no way she was ever gonna sleep with me again after that. Right. They think, well, they, they think, well, this, so the so Batman the ride killed the relationship. Well, again, I guess. See, that's where I kind of come down on this. I, I think there is a certain amount of 
a, what I would call assumption of the risk that goes on. You go to a theme park where there's going to be roller coasters, where there's going to be all these different types of things. I, I think that you I, I don't know. I don't need to read a sign to tell me that, gee, if I've got a back or a neck condition, you know, going on a ride where there's going to be acceleration or things like that, that that's not a good idea. Or alternatively, if I'm going to go to that amusement park and I've got that condition, I'm going to take it upon myself to figure out, okay, can I go on the ride? Can I be in the teacups on It's a Small World, or should I be on the X-Men ride at Universal? 414-799-1620. Here's a text. Jeff, I'm, I'm being facetious, but according to Google, there are over 6,500 spoken languages in the world. All Universal Studios has to do is put signage in all these languages. How hard can that be? And as you can tell, I'm being facetious. 414-799-1620. Mary Jo in Milwaukee. Mary Jo, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi. Hi, Mary Jo. Um, I just wanted to say that if I'm going on a ride and there is warning signs and also, I believe you said pictures. Right. And right. I did not understand what those meant. To me, if I'm going on a roller coaster and there's no signs, that means, you know, pretty much go on it. But if I don't understand what these signs mean, I'm not about to go on a ride. Right. And I have no idea what's going to happen to me if I see a bunch of right, right, like pictures, and you can't see. Read it. But I think you should then stop. No. Say we need to find an inter- interpreter. Right. I know they have those at different. Um, Right. So let, let's so let's work with that. So on on this river cruise I, I did a couple months ago, we're we're in we're in Hungary. I do not speak the local language. So if I was at an amusement park and there was some ride and there was these big signs that you know had in in big bold letters, you know, attention or whatever, and then they had illustrations of you know people with back conditions or heart conditions or whatever. Even if I didn't read the language, your point would be, Jeff. You know, you, you if you're concerned about this, you have an obligation to find somebody to translate it to you before you put your bottom on that ride. Right. I think it's up to me if I don't if I see all these signs and don't understand them, I need to find out what they are before I would go on it. Right. No, thanks. I, 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 and again, I, I don't disagree. Here's a state, Jeff Hazard statements often are preceded by visuals. And that's apparently what happened here. They had the warning signs and they had visuals that were there. These visuals should tip off anyone in any language that something is up. If one was present, I think it's up to the visitor to get the rest translated. Armando in Green Bay. Armando, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi. Um, Hi. I'm not sure they're negligent. But if you buy a toaster or anything, you're going to get five different languages on the instruction. Right. And the point is that they're advertising to the world. They're not just saying Americans. They want everyone from around the world. So they should know their customers and say, all right, maybe we need to do this. You know, and, and you don't have to do every language, but there are probably three or four major ones. And I'm sure they're advertising come here in their language so i think you should have some kind of accommodation or some kind of thing to tell them all right this is wrong well, okay but well, let me ask you this but where do you draw i mean where do you draw the line because let, let's you, you know you, you say the major languages i mean i could easily 
as somebody who's been to Disney World, who's been to Universal, you do have you have people from all over the world coming. So um, German, French, Japanese, Chinese, Spanish. I mean, so pretty soon you end up with like 8, 10, 15 different billboards. Right. But if you're going to go out there and you're going to advertise come here in their language, I think because I'm sure if, if they don't know English, but you're advertising there, you put out advertisement in those countries, yeah. then you have an obligation to accommodate them. Now, what that is, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I'm not sure they're negligent, but I think it's one of these things where, all right, you're the one promoting yourself into these areas, you better cover yourself. Well, um, thanks to Caller Mondo. I guess I, I, see, I guess I, here's where I disagree with you, and this comes from the perspective of when, when I travel overseas, when I travel to a, a country where English is not spoken, and I, I see these various signs that, that are up there, I think, I, now, is it a convenience? Is it a convenience if somebody would have a sign in English that I could read? Yes. Is it more likely that I might patronize, a, for example, a restaurant that has a menu in English as well as has it in, you know, what, whatever, you know, Austrian or German or, or whatever? Yeah, I think it's a convenience. But if I go into a restaurant and it's not in English, I think it's my obligation to try to figure out how I can get translated and not necessarily then complain if I haven't done that, if I order something that I end up not liking. Now, I understand that this is a little bit of a different situation, but I keep going back to the basic concept of if if I have a heart condition, if I have a medical condition and I travel to an amusement park, right, and I don't care whether I speak English or not, I mean, to me, that's not really an example of do you have a warning sign? If I've got a heart condition that, that's up there and I know I've got a heart condition, I'm going to thoroughly research rides before I end up going on any of them because you, you understand what you're getting into. Now, I understand sometimes you go to Disney World, you're in the kids' area, so it's really very tame things. It's stuff that's geared to 8 or 10 or 12-year-olds. But you're at Universal Studios and you're looking at a ride that's called Skull Island, the Reign of Kong, and it's got a sign in English that says warning and all these different pictures up there, I do think at some point in time that you bear some responsibility if you've got a medical condition to at least investigate what's going on here before you get on the ride. And candidly, I guess I have trouble believing that even if this had been in Spanish, the guy would not have gone on it. Seems to me he went on it because he thought it was going to be fun. He was willing to take his chances, and unfortunately, bad stuff happened. It's 145. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 148, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Here's another story that demonstrates why if you live in the suburbs, you should care about what goes on in the city of Milwaukee and in Milwaukee County because it's another example of, well, best thing I could, best example I could give you is let's say, all right, let's say you've you've got that, that glass of soda and you slip and you spill the soda 
on on this little tablecloth, and what's going to happen is that that stain is going to spread outward. It's not going to be confined to just that immediate area where you spilled the soda, and that's how crime works as well. And this is one of the unchecked and untold stories that people are uncomfortable talking about, but I'm not, and that is the spread of the crime problem from Milwaukee into the suburbs. Here's the latest example. This happened a couple days ago. Elm Grove, 11.55 at night on December 29th. So now now keep in mind, we're talking 11.55 at night. So it's almost midnight the day before New Year's Eve. All right. So what happens is a homeowner in Elm Grove hears pounding on the front and back of their house. Turns out to be a lady. She goes to the front door and she sees that somebody had kicked in the front door and was standing at the door, pointing a gun into her home. All right, so everybody that lives in Elm Grove, imagine this, right? Nice neighborhood, midnight, you hear banging on your door, you go, you check it out, and the door has been kicked in, and there's somebody standing there pointing a gun at you. After being confronted, apparently the the woman starts screaming, and... That the people who are involved in this home invasion, they they get nervous and they they run away. They flee in a car that had been parked nearby. Moments later, officers from neighboring communities see the te- see the people in a car. The car then, as we've talked about before, this happens all the time, takes off tries to run from the police and eventually crashes in the village of Menominee Falls. Police arrested five people and recovered one firearm. It turns out the car that was involved in this had been stolen in a burglary, you know, somewhere else. So you've got these five people that are getting ready to do a home invasion. One of them is armed. They're in a car that had been stolen in a burglary. Here again is the dazzling detail. The suspects, all from Milwaukee, ages 15, 16, 16, 17, and 19. Five kids from Milwaukee driving a car that had been stolen in a burglary. One of them is armed, trying to do a home invasion of a house in New Berlin. So, again, this is one of these examples of I, I understand there is a tendency to want to say, OK, well, th- th- this crime problem, it's Milwaukee's problem, et cetera, et cetera. We don't want to travel into Milwaukee because we're scared of this or that or the other thing. Well, it, it's not as simple as that, because what is happening and we've seen this pattern, I think, increasing over the last couple of years. You see the spread of crime. You see the criminal element, particularly the juvenile criminal element in Milwaukee, that's decided, hey, we're going to expand our our base. Let's get outside of our neighborhoods. Let's go to some of these surrounding suburban communities where, okay, maybe people are going to be more unsuspecting. Maybe there'll be, I don't know, better stuff to steal. I don't know what the motivation is. But more and more of this stuff is going on. And it's one of the reasons why you can say, hey, I live in Waukesha County or I live in Ozaki County or I live in Washington County and we don't have this catch and release problem particularly with violent juveniles like they do in the city of Milwaukee or Milwaukee County why should I care well you should care about it 
because a lot of those people, and again, maybe for these kids, 15, 16, 16, 17, and then the adult 19, maybe this was just the first time. Maybe it was just, hey, let's go out, uh, let's steal a car in a burglary, and let's go try to do an armed home invasion. Maybe it was their first time at the rodeo, but my guess is... Probably not, and my guess is they have been through Milwaukee's catch-and-release revolving door juvenile justice system on multiple occasions before this, and now they're out sticking a gun in some woman's face at midnight a couple nights ago in Elm Grove. It's why what goes on in the overall village, why it does make a difference, because it's not just confined. It's not like crime from people, from juveniles in particular in Milwaukee, stops at the borders of Milwaukee. Now, the fact that these people have all been caught in the suburbs means that they're not going to be in Milwaukee's catch-and-release system. Hopefully somebody will treat them differently in the suburban courts, but it's why you really should care. And some of the stuff that's coming out of Milwaukee is there's more and more of a push for Let's not lock people up. Let's be more and more concerned about social justice and things like that and trying to find midnight basketball games and stuff like that. Um, it's one of the reasons why you need to be alarmed in the suburbs because, again, crime doesn't stop at the borders. 154, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 156, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Coming up in just a couple minutes. Why doesn't Tony Evers care about poop in the lake? We will discuss that and the passing of a, well, somebody from a lot of our childhoods. We'll be talking about that as well. Interesting piece. And and this is one thing I would say about President Trump. Just because you're paranoid doesn't mean people are out to get you, aren't out to get you. And, you know, one of the things that I have, have been commenting on for the last two years is the fact that when, when President Trump talks about fake news and things like that, I'm, a lot of the things I think he's thin skinned. I think he's over the top on a lot of stuff. I think in many respects he's his own worst enemy. And I think he has a, how could I say this? Casual relationship with facts and oftentimes a casual relationship with the truth, which brings about all these different fact checks and things like that. Now, at the same time, that just because he's like that doesn't mean that the members of the mainstream media aren't out to get you. And I, I've talked about this before. There was a thing on Showtime about the New York Times, and it chronicled the first year of the Trump administration. And, and you, you watch the – and it focused on the New York Times. You watch these different reporters, and they loathe Donald Trump. They, they, they just did. And clearly, they were they – were, they never cut him a break. You know, if there was a story to be told, it was always told in the light least favorable to Donald Trump. Well, here's an interesting thing that's out there. there there's a new book that's coming out by a woman named Jill Abramson who uh, led the New York Times from 2011 to 2014. And she's saying, hey, you know, the truth is there was there, there was a, a huge bias, and there is a huge bias at the New York Times, and it comes down to money. The New York Times, in addition to the reporters who are generally liberal-leading, they know their audience is primarily liberals. And so what they do is they write these attack pieces on Trump or news stories that feature, again, all the negatives about Trump because it's red meat for their audience, just like 
MSNBC for the left or Fox News for the right. And what she says happens is, look, ever since Trump took over, the number of online subscriptions at the New York Times has gone from 600,000 to more than 2 million. And that's because you've got the, the left that wants to read the negative stuff about Trump. So they've got this financial incentive in providing the negative Trump stuff about Trump. So bottom line, again, of all this is just because you're paranoid doesn't mean that people aren't out to get you. And I think it's pretty clear the New York Times and the Washington Post and MSNBC and CNN and a number of these other places, even if you don't like the term fake news, when it comes to the president, they're out to get him. Stick around. It's 159. Two oh seven, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, it's uh, boy. I mean, start of the twenty nineteen, and already passings of a couple people. These, these aren't necessarily the biggest name celebrities, but Bob Einstein. Do you do you know who that was? Uh, grew, you know, well, I would say before your time, did you watch Curb Your Enthusiasm? You're a big fan of Curb Your Enthusiasm. Yeah, on Curb Your Enthusiasm, um, he, he played Marty Funkhauser, who was Larry David's friend. Right, he, he's probably best known for to a different generation. The, the guy he created the character of Super Dave Osborne, and he was he. This goes back to the Smothers Brothers, and then he had his own show on Showtime where he played Super Dave Osborne, who would always come and do these wacky, wild stunts, and they would always fail. Well, that that's. That's him. He passed away, I believe, today. I didn't realize this. He was the older brother of uh, Al- Albert Brooks, who the the, the comedian and the, the movie star. But uh, he played Super Dave Osborne. He passed away today at the age of, of 76. He also, uh, another passing that perhaps, well, is, is maybe somebody who's perhaps a little bit better known, and I know Gru, who produces the show. You're a you're a wrestling fan. You're a pro wrestling fan. Mean Gene Okerlund, um, who of course was perhaps the most famous wrestling announcer, passed away, I believe, today. At least they announced it today at the age of, of 76. Um, and I, I mean, I've I've told this story before. I'm I'm. I'm not embarrassed in the fact that I grew up watching the American Wrestling Association, the the AWA. I, I come I come to my interest in wrestling. If you're relatively new to the program, I come to my interest in in wrestling legitimately when I was a little kid. My parents would take me to my grandparents' house and they would babysit. My grandmother was a huge fan of professional wrestling. Baltimore, Maryland. I, I mean, I can remember Saturday evenings, and they had Bruno San Martino and Bobo Brazil and all these wrestlers, and, and we would we would sit and we would watch this. And my grandmother, who later you know came out to live with us in Milwaukee and stuff, my grandmother to her dying day never believed that wrestling wasn't anything but real. She just and don't even bother arguing with her. She just she would never believe that. But so I, I come to this legitimately, and I remember watching those things. And then we moved out to Milwaukee when I was like nine or 10 or whatever. And I, I remember, you know, watching the old American Wrestling Association, the AWA with Vern Gagne, et cetera, et cetera. And, and mean Gene Okerlund, who was the announcer who worked for the AWA from 1970 to 1984 with Baron Von Roschke and all those characters and the Crusher. And then um, once the AWA started to go belly up, he left and went to the World Wrestling Federation, the WWF, and then went on to World Championship Wrestling, then went back to the WWF and and just, you know, had this incredible career. 
as as a wrestling announcer. He passed away today at the age of, or again, in the last couple of days, he was 76 years old, passed away in Florida. He's in the WWE Hall of Fame. But he, he was a guy who was perfect, absolutely perfect for, for what he did because he always played it straight. I mean, he was the guy that showed up in the suit or the tuxedo or whatever, and he's conducting the interviews. You've got all these over-the-top characters that are out there. And, and he was the, the perfect I think foil for all these wrestling interviewers and he wasn't the guy that was in the ring but he was certainly this very very memorable character who helped I don't know play along and and make it so very entertaining and for people who um, again grew up like I did watching the American Wrestling Federation the AWA or the the WWE um, mean Gene Okerlund was what was a star and is certainly together with some of the other not just the wrestlers but some of the characters like the managers like the Bobby Heenans of the world and stuff he's um, he he's certainly going to be missed all right I want to open up the phone lines just one segment 414-799-1620 that is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line like I say I I, I come with my my interest in professional wrestling is, is a kid I, I come of it legitimately again my, my grandmother I blame her she got me into this but I mean there were some amazing characters and amazing performers and certainly memorable people from back in the day and mean Gene Okerlund would certainly be one of them like I say he wasn't the guy that was actually in the ring but he was an incredible performer in his own right who made us want to go out and buy the tickets to go down to the old Milwaukee Auditorium to see these wrestling matches. So 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's take a brief walk down memory lane to recognize the passing of of, of Gene Okerlund, who started out, started out in radio in Omaha, Nebraska, then went to work on TV in Minneapolis, fell in with Vern Gagne and with the AWA, and next thing you know, it leads to a lifelong love affair and career in wrestling. All right, a memorable wrestler or performer from your childhood. When you think about those days, who comes to mind? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Just one segment, but I think it's worth doing just in recognition of the passing of mean Gene Okerlund, somebody that we all grew up with. 414-799-1620. A memorable wrestler or performer or entertainer, your favorite from watching back in the day. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. 414-799-1620. It's 213. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 216, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Gene Okerlund passed away either today or yesterday. They just announced it today. He was 76 years old. If you're saying, who is Gene Okerlund? Well, Gene Okerlund was better known as Mean Gene, a nickname given to him by Jesse Ventura, um, who at one time was a wrestler before he went on to be the governor of, of Minnesota. Uh, Gene Okerlund was an announcer, started off in the American Wrestling Association, something that a lot of us grew up around here watching, and then later went on when the WWE or WWF, whatever they were calling at the time, when that went national, and became arguably, 
you know, one of the most famous, if not the most famous pro wrestling announcers of all time. 414-799-1620. We're taking a walk down memory lane in recognition of Gene Okerlund's passing. Your most memorable wrestler, Tony in Fond du Lac. Tony, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Hi, Tony. Hi, I'm thinking for the most memorable, I remember my, myself and my dad were up at Brutus the Barber Beefcake. <laughs> right, right, who was a, a bad guy at one point in time, and then in real life a close friend of Hulk Hogan's, I think, and you know went on to become yep. a good guy as well, yeah. Yep, and I just remember him so much because his over-the-top personality was at the end of the match, if he won, the other loser got a haircut. Right. <laughs> that, that was it, right? The, hence the name Bar- Brutus the Barber. Now, thanks for the call. Now, that was, that was I think, you know, in the 80s when, you know, you had the, the WWE. I think a lot of us probably go back a little bit before that, even to the AWA. Here's a text. Jeff, I was just like you. I grew up on the AWA. My favorite was when the Crusher and Dick the Bruiser tag teamed up. Yeah, well, there was always that as well. Randy in Wauwatosa. Randy, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. When I grew up, we all wrestled for recess. <laughs> we all picked a character. Everyone had their own special character. But I was always mean Gene Oakland. <laughs> okay, you wanted to be the announcer, not not the crusher or the bruiser or Mad Dog Vashon or somebody? Yeah, well, he's the guy that made everything work. Without him, it was just chaos. Yeah. Yeah, it, 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 you know, it, it's, it's funny that you should mention that, Randy, because I always, my, my career path did not take me into professional wrestling. And physically, you know, I, I'm not going to be the guy jumping off the top rope. But, you know, I think I could have done the wrestling announcing thing. I think I could have been the straight man to all those guys. And no matter what, who was wrestling in our, our, our recess, I was always there, right? Commentating, right. I was always present. You were, you were the guy that was given. That, that, thanks, Nicole. See that, see that. I think maybe that's one of the reasons that I kind of, in, in some ways, maybe related to guys like um, you know Gene Okerlund or the old AWA. There was a guy. Oh, the, Roger Kent was the guy that did the commentary. Look, I, I couldn't have been in pro wrestling. Okay, physically, I'm not going to be jumping off the top rope, and I'm not going to be having 300 pound guys pick me up and you know throw me onto the onto the mat. But I I could have done. I could have done the interviews. I could have done the commentary and stuff like that. Heidi in Milwaukee. Heidi, you're on WTMJ. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Hi, I Heidi. Like the British Bulldog. Um, yeah, and one of them, one of them died a number of years ago, and the other one just died recently, I think, as I recall. Um, the dyna- was it the Dynamite Kid? I think he just passed away just recently. Yeah, yeah, they were they were one of my favorites for sure. Oh no! It, it, thanks for calling. I mean, that's. That's what you you know when whenever you have one of these these guys or gals that that passes away, it's you know now Okerlund was, was seventy six and of course he wasn't a wrestler he was the announcer but it's you know you have um you have older people and you have wrestlers you don't have a lot of older wrestlers it's just because of the I mean, I think it's the, especially back in the day, the, 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 the travels and the lifestyle and stuff like that. It, it's not, it's not conducive to, um, again, o- living long ages. That's why, I mean, I've got a, I got a picture of Baron von Roschke up I, my, my brother-in-law Dave. He got, got me assigned a picture of Baron von Roschke that is up at my cube. It remains up at my cube. You know, the guy doing the, uh, claw. Bob in Muskego. Bob, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Hey, I'm going to take you way, way back now. When I was a teenager in in the 50s, I used to go down to Muskego Beach Ballroom and watch gorgeous George (laughs) 
wrestle. Okay, you're you're you you know you you were that's before my time. You are you're dating yourself there for a little bit, Bob. Oh, eighty just was, you know give or take a day or two. <laughs> yeah, well, well, thank absolutely, thanks. But see, it was it was just it was it was just. It was just a lot of fun, and it was kind of one of these simpler times, and you had to suspend reality. But I, w- whenever we have one of these stories, and I understand that some people are like, wait a minute, this guy who's a lawyer and been doing this radio talk show host thing, and he, he followed wrestling? Yes, I I kind of, I don't want to say outgrew it, but I got a little bit bored with it. So I don't, I am not up on the current developments. That's what I rely on my producer for. But I can certainly remember growing up during the heyday of the American Wrestling Association and the heyday of when it was the WWF, and I certainly remember, Mean Gene Okerlund, who passed away either today or yesterday at the age of 76, sail on. 221, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 223, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Yes, I am a fountain of, of completely useless trivia. The, our, our caller Heidi said that she always liked the British Bulldogs. They were in the WWF, and, and that it was the Dynamite Kid and Davy Boy Smith. And Davy Boy Smith, who he passed away in 2002, and I, I knew I had seen something about the Dynamite Kid, and he passed away last month, December 16th. His, December 6th, his real name was Tom Billington. He uh, died at the age of 60. Again, like I say, there's older people and there's wrestlers, and there, there's there's not too many there's not too many wrestlers that make it to you know old age just because I think of the strains of the road and all those types of things. All right. Why doesn't Tony Evers care about Lake Michigan? And I, I ask this question because one of the one of the things that's going to be happening, and and Tony Evers takes over on on Monday, and I think there's going to be a lot of interesting things coming out of this administration. What I think you're going to see is a lot of gridlock because you've got the Republicans who control the state Senate and the state assembly with overwhelming majorities, and you have you know. Governor-elect, soon-to-be Governor Evers, who's got, I think, an agenda that is different, and it appears he's surrounding himself with a lot of retreads from the Doyle administration, but that's okay. That, that's, you know, elections have consequences, and that's one of them. Well, one of the questions that I'm going to be having is we, we've heard a lot about how, you know, we, we need to have a DNR that is more active, and you've got all these environmentalists or so-called environmentalists who are, concerned about you know different things and pollution and we maybe we need to re-examine foxconn or maybe we need to take another look at the golf course that kohler wants to build you know north of uh, the kohler company wants to build north of sheboygan you know on the lake on property that they own well okay that that's all well and good but it is difficult for me to take a lot of the these complaints and oh we're we're pro-environment seriously as long as MMSD continues to be allowed to dump either untreated or partially treated sewage into Lake Michigan. And this is a story that came out a couple days ago while I, I was on vacation. MMSD has received a new state discharge permit that is not as this headline in the Journal Sentinel says, clamping down on the number of sewer overflows. And apparently this permit that they're getting is going to continue to allow them to do what is called blending. And what blending means is, okay, you take sewage, including poop, 
And what you do is you partially treat it before you dump the poop out into Lake Michigan. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want, I mean, imagine, imagine you're, you know, you, you draw a bath, okay? So, so you draw a bath, and my guess is you don't want to be taking a bath with a, a chunk of poop in the bathtub, right? Well, that's what MMSD does with, with Lake Michigan. All right, you, you've got a partially treated thing, but there's still a piece of poop in, in the lake. And that apparently is going to be allowed to continue. Now, let me back into this for just a minute here. Whenever we talk about the, this, this dumping, I don't really fault MMSD because MMSD and the deep tunnel, they have limitations because you can't build a tunnel that has enough capacity to handle all the rainwater that you get when we have, you know, rains where, you know, you get a couple inches of rain in a short period of time or several inches of rain over a couple-day period. You, you can't build a tunnel that's big enough to handle that. The problem with MMSD, and let me make this just as simple as possible, is it's always been a flawed system. In most parts of our community, you have the storm sewers, you know, the rainwater washes off, and it goes into the storm sewers, and it goes and, and it goes into the lake. The storm sewers are separated from the sanitary sewers. Now, there's nothing wrong with treating storm water, you know, because it goes off of people's roofs, and it can pick up chemicals or things like that. But in general, storm water doesn't need to be treated. Water from sanitary sewers needs to be treated because, all right, it, it's the stuff that's in your toilet. You know, you, it needs to be treated. Well, what's happened is in Milwaukee, parts of Milwaukee and parts of Shorewood, the sanitary sewers combine with the storm sewers. So every time it rains, you get all the storm water that really doesn't need to be treated, and it mixes in with the stuff from the sanitary sewers that does need to get treated. But what happens is the stormwater is so great that it fills up the deep tunnels and then you have to dump. I have no issue with dumping because, I I guess under the circumstances, because if you don't dump, you've got stuff that then backs up into people's basements and causes millions and millions of dollars of damage, and that is unacceptable. You, You can't have that. But I also don't think you can continue to be able to dump poop into Lake Michigan every time you get a hard rain. The way to avoid this problem is relatively simple, and that is to separate the storm sewers in Milwaukee and in Shorewood from the sanitary sewers. If you do that, so the only stuff that is going into, uh, again, like the deep tunnel, is the stuff that needs to be treated, well, you're not going to have a problem. But when you mix it with all that storm water, that's where the deep tunnel fills up. So why don't we do this? Well, we don't do it because of the political clout of the city of Milwaukee and of Shorewood, where they don't want to spend the money to do the right thing. So as a result of that, we continue to have these dumpings every time it rains. So my question is going to be moving forward. I'm being told that, okay, this is going to be environmentalist governor. Now we're going to have all these people who are really going to be caring about this. All right, my question is going to be, sooner or later, is somebody going to say, let's solve this problem once and for all, and let's 
ask the city of Milwaukee and Shorewood to bite the bullet and do what they should have done decades ago, which is to separate the storm sewers from the sanitary sewers so we don't have poop continuing to be dumped into Lake Michigan. Where will Tony Evers be on that? Stay tuned. 235, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It says, we say elections have consequences and the... 20,000 or so vote margin that cost Scott Walker his position. Well, it's going to, it's, the chickens are going to come home to roost. Tony Evers is giving an interview saying, yeah, here's, here's his budget. Essentially, it's, well, more and more money from you taxpayers. He wants to, let's see, he wants to allow property taxes to rise more than they have in the past. He's considering letting local governments increase sales taxes. He wants to allow illegal immigrants to qualify for driver's licenses. Hmm. He wants to give uh, people who are in this country illegally the chance to pay in-state tuition. How wonderful that is, et cetera, et cetera. He says he's not going to follow the law. He doesn't like some of these lame duck laws that curb his powers, and he intends that to say he's not going to follow them which is an interesting perspective to take, regardless of how you feel about the laws that were passed. Interesting to have the governor, who's presumably going to swear to follow the laws, to say that he's not going to do it. It's going to be an interesting, interesting time period. And again, it's it shows that elections have consequences. One of the things that I think is going to be very interesting is the whole idea of prison reform. In his interview, Evers says that, uh, yes, he campaigned on reducing the prison population by half over the coming years by focusing on rehabilitation. At which point in time, all right, the, the reality is the people that are in prison, with perhaps a few exceptions, belong in prison that that's just the reality it it's difficult to get yourself sent to prison that that's just the truth and this is it's particularly true if you're a juvenile it's almost impossible to get yourself you know sent to some of the the facilities that that deal with juveniles but even as as adults unless you either commit a really really serious offense including probably a violent offense or you are an habitual criminal. You're not going to go to prison. That That's just the reality of it. So we start with the basic premise that most of the people who are in prison belong in prison. Then you add to that the fact that there's a lot of people that are in prison. Um, there are a lot of people who are out there committing crimes who you know belong in prison. And so when you hear some of these politicians say, well, what we want to do is we want to reduce the prison population in half. Well, all right, what that means is, number one, you are going to be releasing, in many cases, dangerous people earlier than they should be released. That's number one. And number two, you're not going to be sending dangerous people to prison. And I, again, it's great to talk about this, and it's great to say, well, gee, in a perfect world, we wouldn't need to have all these people that are in prison. But unfortunately, we don't live in a, a perfect world. And one of the real concerns, and I think this is going to be a huge issue moving forward, especially when you look at the people that the governor-elect has surrounded himself with, these are people with a track record and a history of being, as a general rule, soft on crime, 
let's try to figure out all these alternatives to incarceration. And again, a failed system where you have dangerous people that continue to be out on the streets. And I guess that's unacceptable. But again, it's it's a lesson of of elections having consequences. And I think for a lot of us, it's going to be a wake-up call starting next Monday after Tony Evers is inaugurated. And it's going to be interesting to see whether the Republican legislature can act as an effective check and balance on what I think is going to be his tendencies. All right, let's switch gears. The federal government, or at least part of the federal government, has been shut down for a couple of weeks now, right? The shutdown is over uh, $5 billion in, in spending. President Trump describes it as spending for border security, but much of it is going to be devoted towards, you know, again, building this wall that has always been controversial and something that, candidly, there's a lot of people, including conservatives like myself, who, who don't think that a wall makes any sense. I mean, a wall to me is something you had in the 17th or 18th century. Now, given all the technology that's out there, it's one thing to say border security, but a a fixed wall never made any sense to me. It used to be over the years when we had a controversy about a government shutdown and it was Republicans versus Democrats. It used to be over spending issues. Democrats wanted to spend more money. Republicans would say, no, we don't want to spend this money. We're going to hold the line. That's what led to the shutdowns. This isn't like that. This is a government shutdown over over $5 billion, a portion of it which would be used to build a wall. This is a government shutdown over spending, not over a disagreement about whether we should or we should not spend. Now, my guess is, for a lot of you, this government shutdown has had no impact at all. The the mail continues to get delivered. Your Social Security checks are going to come in the mail or be deposited into your account. And unless you're perhaps visiting the national park system or something like that, it's had very, very little impact on you. From the perspective of federal employees, though, there are some, there's actually a lot, that are going without pay right now. Many of them are working, and they're hoping that they're going to be paid at the end of this, and they probably will. But at the same time, there is this degree of uncertainty. And if you're somebody who lives from paycheck to paycheck and you're a federal employee and you're temporarily laid off, it it is an impact to you. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I've been, again, watching this whole this whole government partial shutdown over this budget. And my overriding reaction is that this is just no way to run a railroad. Whether you agree with President Trump or whether you agree with the Democrats over this $5 billion spending for the wall, I think it is absolutely ridiculous that we have gotten to the point where we have yet another situation where the federal government isn't funded and i think to have this problem break out over gee i I want money to build a wall i think makes makes government look incredibly foolish and i think it's way past time to stop this whole mickey mouse stuff going back and forth about the budget shutdown if you want to argue funding for immigration and pay for the wall that should be, to me, something that, that's a standalone thing that gets debated. But 
Doesn't it make us look ridiculous to have a shutdown over an issue like this? 414-799-1620. That's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think this is bad for the economy. I think it's bad for federal workers. I think it's bad for the United States because it looks like we are the gang that could not shoot straight. And I think it makes us look silly in the world. And, you know, if we want grown-ups to start taking over, this is one where it seems to me you get everybody in a room and you end up getting this done. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It is frustrating to me that we are again at this point where you have a portion of the government that is shut down because people can't agree on funding, I don't know, what needs to be funded? 414-799-1620. It's 1243. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. If you're on the line, please hold on. Two forty-six. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Let's start with Brian in Brookfield. Brian, good afternoon. Hi. Um, yeah, the you know shutdown kind of ridiculous. Um, you know, I would say at minimum. You know, fund the government, you know, negotiate over the wall later. But, uh, you know, you don't need a wall. You know, you can do ground radar, you can do drones, you can do helicopters, more funding for Border Patrol, uh, Coast Guard, especially, you know, California, um, Texas, and Florida. Make sure, you know, nothing's going around um, on the water either um, so far as, you know, illegal drugs uh, is the biggest problem. Obviously, there's dangerous, you know, uh, illegal immigrants, but, you know, most of them are, you know, not dangerous and, you know, more funding just for better processing of, you know, um, legal immigration. So, well, I guess I and see it. And, and to me, I, I just think this debate needs to be outside of the budget debate. I mean, you know, when when you're we're talking about the, the budget, you know, you're, you're talking about, I mean, so many other different things, you know, services that are expected to be provided. And I understand there's some people that, you know, don't like federal employees or whatever, but 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 there are people who are coming to work and they're, they're doing their jobs and they're expected to do their jobs. And now they're being told, well, you're, you're not going to be paid at least in at least immediately. And that to me, it's just no way to run a railroad. I mean, you fund it, keep things operating and then let, let's let's have the debate. And if you don't have enough votes to, you know, get funding approved for the wall, well, OK. Okay, fine. Then that's an election issue two years from now. Right. No, thanks. Because see, that's that's what I mean. I, I think that's what bothers me uh, about this in, entire process. It's just no way to run a railroad when it comes to you know operations. You don't. If if you think about the United States, if you think about the the government a, as a business, I mean, think about. Think about your business and, and what would happen if all of a sudden, you know, your, your owners just decide that, OK, well, we're not going to we're not going to pay you or. Um, and, and again, I, I get sometimes that you have these situations where there's a strike and but but that's not what this is. The federal employees want to come to work. I mean, I think they're entitled to paychecks. I, I think when you read these reports about how the national parks, there, there's nobody there to clean the bathrooms and things like that. It, it just it makes us all look silly. And that's a conversation I think you have to have regardless of regardless of whether you think, you know, you should build the wall or you should not build the wall. This this particular shutdown isn't even over spending priorities. That's what the previous ones have been. This is just over. All right. You have five billion dollars for a wall. And by the way, five billion dollars doesn't get you much of a wall. Let's talk to Randy and Marinette. Randy, you're on WTMJ. Hello. 
Yes, sir. Um, how many times did Mr. Obama um, do the same thing, though? I mean, with, with something that I believe it was 16 times, or am I wrong on that? There, there, we, no, we haven't had 16 shutdowns, but we have had shutdowns over the years, going back to, gosh, going back to um, the, the, the mid-90s, as a matter of fact. And every one of those people end up getting paid their back pay. It's really not that big of a deal. Well, okay, it's easy to say, though, Randy, unless you're one of those guys or gals that are living paycheck to paycheck. And, and even if you say, yeah, I'm going to get my money at some point in time, that doesn't help you when that car payment's due on Monday. You know what I mean? But is it, um, are they not, are they working and not being paid, or are they on, like they've been saying on the media, on furlough? Well, it's, it's, it's both. Some are furloughed and some are working with without getting paid. But but let's talk to the people who are furloughed. I mean, you know, at some point in time, you're right. In hist- historically, what's happened is the people who've been furloughed have been given pay, even though they didn't have to go in and work. But it still doesn't help them. I mean, if you've again, if if all of a sudden you've gotten furloughed over this and you need you need to make your you know your living paycheck to paycheck and you need to make your car payment on Monday, you you got a problem. I, I get. I mean, thanks for look. And I look. And I understand. I I I, I guess you, you can argue. Well, who cares about that or whatever? But I I'm, I'm trying to raise the the bigger point, which is, is this really any way to run a railroad? I mean, and by that I I mean, you would assume that an operation like the federal government should be able to figure out a way to keep the essential services going. If we all this shutdown isn't over a disagreement about whether we should have people who are park rangers or people who are doing maintenance in the national parks. We all agree that that should be funded. So, you know, why can't we get this done? I mean, here's the text. Jeff, some people outside the federal government are being affected. For example, my friend's son, who has his air traffic controller training, suspended indefinitely just days before his final evaluation. Plus, those working who won't be getting paychecks until after it's settled will hurt families and hopefully not hurt the economy. But I agree with you. It's bad policy regardless of the political leverage both sides on the wall are exerting, putting everybody else in the middle and making the U.S. look foolish in the idea, in the eyes of world opinion. That's, you know, that's kind of that's kind of my point about this. You know, somebody says that federal employees are are furloughed. They should be collecting unemployment. Well, but you have to be. You have to be out of work for a certain time before you start to apply for that. But, but again, the bottom line of this is, is this any way to run a government? And, you, you know, whether you blame it on the Democrats or you blame it on President Trump or whatever, can't we expect more? And I guess that's the point that I'm, I'm trying to make about this whole thing, that, you know, can't we expect more? Because I remember these government shutdowns. I remember them going back to Newt Gingrich and, and Bill Clinton, you know, in, in the mid-1990s. And at the end of the day, all you have is disruption to people. You have people being um, being inconvenienced. In some cases, you have people that, you know, do go through some legitimate financial hardships, at least in the short term. And at the end of the day, nothing ends up getting done. And in this particular case, like I say, we've got a shutdown. It's not over spending differences. It's not over one side wants to spend and one side doesn't. It's over 
whether you take a couple billion dollars and and build a, a wall, a portion of a wall that I thought Mexico was supposed to pay for in the first instance. I guess in my message is, can't we just get this done and move on to some of the other, I think, more substantial and significant issues that face us all? It's 2.53. When we come back, Scott Warris is in for John McCurr. We'll find out what he has on his mind in just a moment. Please stick around.